you think about when you hear the word Pentecost? What does that bring to mind? Perhaps you're remembering a festival associated with the Old Testament. Perhaps you're remembering the day of Pentecost. Perhaps you're thinking, oh dear, that's confusing and I don't know what to think about it. Perhaps you're remembering that there was a sound and a sight associated with it. Well, today we're going to talk about Pentecost. Oh, and by the way, some people associate it with power. And yes, there is real power associated with Pentecost. And we're going to take a look at some of those ideas today. We won't exhaust everything about Pentecost, but we want to take a look in a way that will help us develop confidence in God. You're listening to Faith Is, where we challenge each other to develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we're going to approach Pentecost and the examination of Pentecost and the celebration of the day of Pentecost on the program today through that lens. How can it help us develop confidence in God? Well, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor at Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. We're a church of real people, and sometimes we're really real, if you know what I mean by that. In every sense of the word, we have good, good-hearted people here. I, I have never met any more good-hearted people than in our church. There's no question about that. And we're delighted to bring you these programs to help you develop your confidence in God, because we all want to have confidence in God. And that's what we want to do for each other, and that's how we want to challenge each other. We don't want to have meek and mild confidence. We want to have a robust confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Now, this is the weekend that churches all across the country, and really many of them around the world, will remember and think about, talk about, study about an event that we call the Day of Pentecost, or some people just simply say Pentecost. And we want to look at that as I said, through a lens that helps us have confidence in God. There are a lot of times people will bring up things, particularly related to power, as I mentioned a minute ago, that, that add confusion. And there was confusion on the day of Pentecost, but we want to look at it in a way that helps us have confidence and not be confused. Now, to start out, let's assure ourselves or remind ourselves, and if some of you thought of this, you're right, that Pentecost is associated with an Old Testament feast, also called the Feast of Weeks. This was well established in the life of God's people, and they celebrated it every year. It was a harvest feast. It was a festival of the first fruits of the harvest coming in. They celebrated it 50 days after Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was also probably, although I guess there's some uncertainty on this, it was probably associated with commemorating the giving of the law at Sinai, where God's people heard from God and he gave them what came to be called the law. And they were very happy that God had given them all that they needed to know so that they could please him. So they weren't trapped in an endless cycle of trying to appease a God they could not understand or grasp or come to know. So all of that is part of this idea of Pentecost. The interesting thing to me, well, one of the many interesting things to me is that here God used something that they already knew, something that was familiar in their lives, to introduce what he was now bringing to completion or fulfilling and moving toward 
the day of the Lord. He was using a feast that was already established, the same as he used the Passover celebration for the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. He's now 50 days later using Pentecost to reveal himself in another way that will help his people have confidence in him. So I thought we ought to start out, and, and we got a long way to go on some of these things, but I thought we ought to start out by reading the story of Pentecost from Acts chapter 2. Now I'm going to read from the Common English Bible today. I'm doing this for a specific reason that we can talk about it a little bit. It's a very good English translation. I like it a lot. And if you are still struggling to find a good English translation, consider the Common English Bible. There are many really good ones, and I don't know of any that will really lead you astray. There are some that I like better than others, and most of us are that way. We like some better than others. But find one that, that you will read and understand and that God can help you grasp what he's up to. So let's start by reading together from Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1. If you have a Bible you can follow along, you'll probably have no trouble following the story. So here we go with verse 1. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. The reference there to they was the followers of Jesus. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now it's very important to understand what's going on here. This wasn't a wind, this was the sound of a howling, fierce wind. Now, for those of us who live in Florida and who have had the um, uh, privilege, uh, well, the, um, the opportunity to go through a hurricane, we know something about what a howling, fierce wind sounds like. I don't know if it sounded like a hurricane, back in those days, but it was a sound that certainly got their attention and filled the entire house where they were sitting. It's also important to notice from a biblical perspective that the word associated with the Holy Spirit and with wind is a similar word. They use the ruach to, to talk about that. And so this is not a surprise that it would be connected with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So the wind fills the house, Verse three, they saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. Now, this is very interesting to me, and I think to a lot of us. There are different ways English translation describe what is seen here. I'm wondering, I can't prove it, but I'm wondering if the writer was having trouble describing something that he was seeing but had never seen before and hardly knew how to describe. Now, that's, that's not certain. I don't want to make anybody think that's for sure what's going on. I think he was doing the best he can, and we believe God inspired him. So to think of it as fire alighting on each of them, that's significant. On each one, there was this flame of fire. Now, it's also important to, to make sure we connect here before we go on this idea of wind and fire as being evidences of the Holy Spirit's presence. And that was true at other times back in the Old Testament. And so again, we see how God is using the known to introducing what is new. And I think that that's something we overlook too often, and we tend to move away from understanding the, the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament stories, when they can be so very helpful, because here we're seeing God is using things familiar to his people to introduce something new. And here's what was new, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. Important observation, big deal part of Pentecost. They spoke other languages, and it was because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, enabled them to do that. So they didn't do it on their own energy, their own talent, their own ability. They did it because the Holy Spirit enabled them to speak in other languages, languages they did not know. Important to notice in verse 4, this English translation uses a very specific word, languages. I think that's important because that's what communicates to us. This was not something that nobody knew. This was other languages that somebody knew. When we find that out going ahead in the story, verse 5, there were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. Now that's a reference to, yes, many Jews had been away and came back and were living in Jerusalem, but it's also reminding us that this was a festival time, and so many Jewish people would have been in Jerusalem to, to be a part of the festival, and so they were there present when this happened. Isn't it interesting how God used Passover when a bunch of them would have been there for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and then 50 days later, Pentecost comes, and many of the people that traveled to Jerusalem would have stayed in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost or the Festival of Weeks. God used those things to introduce people to what's going on. So verse 5, there were many, or there were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. So they heard the crowd, they heard the noise, the crowd gathered, and then notice what it says is about this phenomenon of language. Earlier it said the Spirit enabled God's people who were gathered there together to speak in other languages, and now it says these people, these pious Jews from every nation who were gathered in Jerusalem now heard them speaking in their native languages. Heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised, verse 7, and amazed, saying, look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the legions of, or the regions of Libya, bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. Now, that's what I think is important. They heard, notice what they're saying, they heard the mighty works of God being declared in their own languages. They were all surprised, verse 12, and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them, saying, they're full of new wine. Well, let's pause again for a minute. Remember, we get caught up sometimes in the the idea of speaking, what does someone say when prompted by the Holy Spirit? And here, it seems that the weight of this event is in the hearing, because it says they heard, and it mentions that more than once, that they heard in their own language, and what they heard was the people declaring the mighty works of God. There you go. God wants people to know something. 
just as he used Pentecost or the festival of weeks to communicate the coming or to, to reveal or to give the gift of the Holy Spirit, he wants us to understand in terms of things we already understand, and now he wants them to understand the mighty works of God. So he has people speak their language so they can hear it. At the same time, there are always cynics, and some of them jeered, saying they're full of new wine or they're drunk. In other words, they were, we might say, babbling like a drunk would babble. Well, there's always going to be doubters and people that throw stones, but here it's very clear God had sent the Holy Spirit with a singular purpose so that these people who had gathered in Jerusalem could hear the mighty works of God. Answering this challenge, what does this mean from verse 12? Peter stands up and speaks. So verse 14, Peter stood with the other 11 apostles. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this. Listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. So he puts that to bed right away. Nine o'clock in the morning. During these festival days, they might not have even eaten until what we would call 10 o'clock in the morning. And certainly it was too early for them to have gotten drunk. So Peter is explaining it's not that at all. It's something else. Verse 15. These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Rather, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. So now he gives explanation to what's going on. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders to occur in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be changed into darkness and the moon will be changed into blood before the great and spectacular day of the Lord comes. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that's quite a statement, and he quotes the prophet Joel so that we can understand what's going on here, and he refers to a number of things that the um, reality that the, um, the Holy Spirit has come, and this is not a surprise or something new. He quotes Joel, the prophet, to indicate that it's connected to what God has been up to in, in the history of his people. And so we want to try to understand some of what's going on here and, and unpack a little bit more of this idea of the day of Pentecost, not by embracing things that we don't understand, but by focusing on what it seems to be God's intention was to help people understand. He wanted the people that were visiting Jerusalem from all these nations to understand. That's why he gave them the message of his mighty works in their language. And in the same way, he wants us to understand what has happened in history and what that means for us. Now, when we tackle a subject like the gift of the Holy Spirit, we run the risk of generating more heat than light. Some of these things are controversial and confusing. They were confused at the day of Pentecost, all these people from out of town. They didn't know what to make of this. Sometimes we get confused too, but let's concentrate 
when we try to understand these things on what is obvious and what we must not miss. There's time enough to get into other things, but let's today, let's concentrate on shedding more light on the subject and less heat. Now, there might be some things that I say that you'll go, well, I don't know about that. Well, that's fine, but I'm concentrating to try to help us understand. And if you have questions, then I encourage you to, to investigate that for yourself. Think that through. But I do hope that what we can help each other with is understanding more, not just stirring up controversy. It doesn't help when we just stir up controversy because then we tend to keep what God says to us at arm's length instead of taking it to heart. And I'm convinced that God gave us the Bible so we could know what we needed to know about him and how to live. And so I don't think, even in this kind of controversial subject like the day of Pentecost, that he would change his approach to that and intend to make it complicated and confusing or as I said, more heat than light. So let's think about a few things here as we kind of approach this. First of all, I think it's really important when we, when we start to think about the Holy Spirit. And, and the reason I think this is important, because I'm not sure we have our, our frame of mind exactly right about these things, but, but it's very important, I think, for us to understand that, that the Holy Spirit is good for God's people. You know, because of all of the mystery, and there's always going to be mystery about God, because of all of the assertions of one kind or another about the Holy Spirit that cause people to, to wonder and to sometimes say no and to sometimes resist and all of the things that happen, because of all of that, we, we tend to forget that the coming of the Holy Spirit is good for God's people. Jesus said, I tell you, I am going to do what is best for you. This is why I'm going away. The Holy Spirit cannot come to help you until I leave, but after I am gone, I will send the Spirit to you. That's from John 16, verse 7. I read that from the contemporary English version of the Scriptures. See, Jesus is saying to his disciples, to his followers in those days, and to us now through the words of the Bible, that the coming of the Holy Spirit is good for us. It's best for us. He said that, I tell you, I'm going to do what is best for you. He has to go away so the Holy Spirit can come. So we need to keep in mind as we consider all of this that God wants what's best for us. And so sending the Holy Spirit was best for us, is best for us. And we need to embrace that and understand that. Another important thing that I think we need to get is that, that the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was for all of God's servants. Peter quoted the prophet Joel, who was quoting God. And he said this, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Acts chapter two, verse 18, that's the New Living Translation. We should make sure we understand that the Holy Spirit isn't just for a select few. It's not just for men, it's not just for women, it's for God's servants. What did Peter say? Quoting Joel, quoting God, in those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. So the Holy Spirit is for the people who follow God, who serve God. And, and we don't, don't want to miss that. That's, that's really important. And, and so we, we, all of us, all of us, men, women, all of the people of God should embrace God's good gift of the Holy Spirit.
Now, to do that, we might have to put aside some of our preconceived ideas, some of our, yeah, we should admit it, misconceptions, some of the things that people have tried to convince us of that just aren't so, don't stand up to biblical scrutiny. But in all of this, we should embrace God's good gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you struggle with that, just ask God to guide and to direct and to teach. What does it mean for me to embrace the good gift you give your people of the Holy Spirit? I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Now, another important thing to keep in mind is that I got this idea from, a, from another writer, and I thought, wow, he's really insightful on this. He's really gotten the idea. See, Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, he said to his people that they needed to wait and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Now, he didn't necessarily say that they would understand everything at that point. The staying in Jerusalem, the, the waiting, as Andrew Foster Connor says, is not for clarity, but power. And I thought that's very interesting. Sometimes some of us, we shy away from this idea of power because we don't know what that means, and, and we're not quite sure about power. What if this power gets out of control? What if this power is harmful somehow? Well, remember, Jesus said the gift of the Holy Spirit is good for his people. So when he talks about power, because Jesus did say there would be power involved, he said it would be for a very specific purpose. You might be familiar with it. Jesus said, what you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That particular quotation comes from the message. So the idea of power, and sometimes we talk about Pentecost power. We around our church, I remind all of us, maybe more often than people want to know, but I think we haven't really got it uh, across Christendom. But it was the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that came at Pentecost and now lives in his people. And so we were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't taken by the church. It's not something we go out and search for. It's a gift of God to the people of God, and it's for a specific purpose. You will be able to be my witnesses, or we could say it a little differently, you will have power to be my witnesses. You've heard that expression plenty of times, and some English translations say it that way. So it's a couple of things. Make sure when we think of the power, the power of something that's given. It's not something we strive for or seek out and find, and we have to do something to unearth. It's a gift from God. It's power that's given, and it's given for a specific purpose, a specific purpose. Now, what is that specific purpose? Well, it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and we sometimes think about this a little less than precisely, could I say, what you'll get, Acts chapter 8, or Acts, pardon me, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses. There's the reason for the power. The power was given for a specific purpose. 
you will be able to be my witnesses. That's what Jesus said. So we cannot get away from that and should not try. It's very important for us to, to notice that it was for a specific purpose. Now, being a witness means a lot of different things to a lot of people. And you've heard about giving testimonies. You've heard about witnessing in terms of personal evangelism. You may have heard about it in some other contexts, but let me let me suggest we think about this idea of witnessing in a little different way than we're used to thinking about it. So one of the things that we know is that Satan is the one who deceives the whole world. That comes from Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Satan is, other places in the Bible describe him as the father of lies. Okay, it's no surprise to us then that, that we come to grips with this idea that Satan is a deceiver. It's no great surprise to us because Satan started out lying to Adam and Eve in the garden. They said, God told us this, and Satan twisted it all around into a lie and say, no, God didn't say that, it's this. And bottom line is, Satan distorts everything. So it's no great surprise when we come to the conclusion that he's involved in deceiving God's people about God's great gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be careful that we think carefully about this and precisely and biblically. It could be that Satan's confusion is why there is so much, or I should say Satan's deception, is why there is so much confusion, so much controversy, so much consternation surrounding the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So many people just don't even want to think about it because they're, they're discouraged, afraid, confused, frightened, something. And we should be embracing God's good gift, and we should be embracing it because it's the power to be able to witness. Now, what does that mean? See, remember, we're trying to shed more light on the subject than heat. All right? So, so God said that he would send us the Holy Spirit. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit was for a specific purpose for the church, for the people of God, to be witnesses. So think about what God is doing here. Into a world full of deception, often deceived by the evil one, God sends his people, the church, to bear witness to the truth. Isn't that what a witness does? A witness says they will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. A witness is someone who can tell the truth because they know the truth, and God sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost as a gift to his people so that they would have power to tell the truth. Now, whoever imagined, well, I didn't until recent times, whoever would have imagined it would have taken courage to stand up for and to tell the truth. Most of my life, the truth has been something that we should obviously seek out. Nowadays, we have all manner of attempts to deceive us and to point us in the wrong direction. To a lot of us, it seems inconceivable that we would need power to stand up for the truth, but now we find out that it does. How many people have been shamed into silence in our days? And God knew from that first day of Pentecost that we would need power to tell the truth. So he promised power so we could be truth tellers in our world, in our world that's really consumed by lies. It's just stunning to me to, co to come to that realization. It's just, just stunning to me to realize and to see and to live 
in a world that is focused on lies and seems to revel in calling someone a liar. But when they do that, it's as though they're calling someone a liar who's telling the truth. It's like the world has gone crazy and we have forgotten and we've forgotten to seek and find the truth. Into this world, God says to the people of God, to his people of the church, receive the power of the Holy Spirit to tell the truth. So I've said for a while now, and I'm not the only one saying it, don't, no big pat on my back, but I've been saying that the truth is God's gift to a world that too easily believes a lie. And I've been more specific, and I'll say it many times, that the church is God's gift to the world because we can tell the truth, and we need to tell the truth. Our world needs the truth because it's falling for so many things that just aren't true. People want to believe something in a certain way, so they, they say it's true. Now, just wanting to believe something doesn't make it true. You and I understand that. But it's going to take the church receiving the power of the Holy Spirit to tell the truth, because it's harder and harder to stand up under the coercive pressure to tell and believe a lie. So remember, the truth is God's gift to a world that too easily believes a lie. And remember this too. It was Jesus that said, the truth will set you free. That's from John chapter 8, verse 32. Have you ever noticed how tied up in knots people are so much today? How they get almost in a stranglehold of confusion by the ideas that are out there, and they don't know what to turn, and they kind of are at wit's end, and we say to each other, you just can't make this up. The gift of God is the truth will set you free. So be free, people. Believe the truth. Trust God. And we're going to unpack that idea of believing the truth a little bit more. You stay with us. Take a break. Take a breath. And we're going to let the truth set us free. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'll be right back. I want to put in a big word for healthy cell supplements. The GI tract is not functioning normally in long COVID syndrome. I'm convinced of it. There are multiple studies. We need a much better absorbed set of nutraceutical and vitamin products for long COVID syndrome, and that's healthy cell. They have an entire line that's safe and effective, uh, can help people through the long COVID syndrome. I found the best way to use healthy cell products is use them every day, not on and off, on and off. Take them every day consistently. The immune super boost, focus and memory, and the REM sleep supplement all have powerful effects in long COVID syndrome. Go to HealthyCell.com and in the promo code, type in out loud for 20% off your first order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 120 times per month. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains full effective doses of science-backed nutrients, like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day, pill-free, ultra-absorption ingestible gel. It tastes great, comes in a convenient squeeze gel pack, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. 
Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Surely if you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. You can listen in on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Again, let's continue talking about Pentecost. We've been talking about the day of Pentecost, trying to understand it better, trying to add more light than heat to the subject. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens from Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, and you're listening to Faith Is, where faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we hope that our time together helps you have more confidence in God. That's what we all want. That's what we all need. And I'm confident that today, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, you'll understand things a little differently, and you will have a sense of what God is calling his people today to accomplish. So we left off talking about the concept that God gave power on the day of Pentecost. And people think about that power in a lot of ways, and and yes, we can think about it in more than one way, but in the specific statement that Jesus made about the coming of the Holy Spirit, he said that we would have the ability to be his witnesses. And the way we're thinking about this idea of being his witnesses is that we're witnesses to the truth. We tell the truth. Now, the truth has a lot of ways you can think about it. I'm not talking about the really twisted contemporary idea of my truth, your truth, their truth, whatever truth. I'm talking about truth in the sense that it stands up to scrutiny. It is verifiably so. It's not what I want to believe. And so when I say it, it's the truth because it's my truth. It's what I want to believe or it's what I believe. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about truth that stands up to scrutiny, stands the test of time. And we the people of God are expected to be witnesses that tell the truth, because that's what witnesses do. Now, the truth matters to God. It matters to God in, in so many ways, but one of the things that really got my attention in this idea of that the truth matters to God was, oh, some time ago, it probably has been a year now, time goes by so quickly, that a friend of mine pointed out to me that in the book of Revelation, God is very clear that no liars get into heaven, or we could more specifically just say the new Jerusalem. What's called the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21 is what we think of as heaven or should think of as heaven. 
Is that the complete picture of all that it is? I don't know that it is. Again, the writer was trying to describe things he had never seen and probably struggled to describe in terms that we could understand. But what is very clear in Revelation 21.8, couldn't be clearer, is that there will be no liars in heaven. So when we live in a world that seems consumed with the idea of, of lying or calling whatever they want to believe the truth, we need to remember that the truth matters to God and no liars will get into heaven. That's a pretty good sign that telling the truth matters to God. And you may remember that, that in the context of this idea of truth, Pilate was, was pretty honest. He said, what is truth? That's from John chapter 18, verse 38. What is truth? He was struggling when Jesus was brought before him. Well, that's a question that the people of God, the church, needs to ask because God has given us power to be witnesses, witnesses that tell the truth. One of the aspects of the truth, one of the very important aspects of the truth is to recognize that Jesus is the truth. He embodies the truth. In John 14, 6, what did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. And so when we are witnesses and we tell someone that Jesus said, we're telling them not only that he's told us the truth, but that he represents himself the truth. Jesus himself said that he would send the Holy Spirit. We talked about that earlier, that the Holy Spirit is a gift of God to the people of God, that he would send the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. John 16, 13. I think the wording there says specifically that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And sometimes we think of you as singular when we read it and we hear those words being said to us that we ourselves will be guided into all truth. But we need to remember almost every time, and you won't go wrong in the New Testament, if you always think of the word you as plural. We're individualistic and we tend to think of it as in singular to us, but it's plural to all of the people of God. In almost every case, it's a plural situation. And here it was for sure. He's speaking to his group of followers, his disciples, guide you, all of you into all truth. And so by saying that, he's reminding them and us that by being guided into all tr truth, we become the bearers of that truth to the world around us. And as I've said, and said a little while ago, the church's great gift to our world, our world full of deception is the truth. And we need to tell the truth and stand for the tr truth and live the truth and, and be examples of people who live the truth. It's just not an option. So if we are supposed to stand for the truth and, and live up to the truth and bear witness to the truth, how do we do that when we evaluate things that go on in our world to determine their truthfulness? That's because sometimes things happen and people say things and we have to, we have to ask ourselves, is, are they really telling the truth? Because we're expected to discern truth from error, and we need to come to, to grips with that. Now, I want to give you some ideas for that. I don't pretend this is a complete approach to that, but I think you'll find it helpful, and I, and I hope you'll, you'll kind of take it to heart and uh, live it out a little bit more maybe than what you have been, because the truth matters, and we shouldn't shrink from the truth. And too many times today, too many people are coerced into shrinking from telling the truth because they're afraid of 
some kind of coercive repercussions. And sometimes that happens. But how do we evaluate? How do we determine the truth? How do we live truthful lives in this world that seems so caught up in deception? Well, we want to we want to explore that a little bit. And we want to unpack that a little, little bit. Um, and, and when I say this world is in a world is full of deception, I mean something like what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said. And you may have heard this. It's, it's, um, it's very insightful, a little bit confusing, a little bit easier to understand when you're looking at it than when you're talking about it. But I think you'll understand it. He said, of, of the communist state in which he was living and writing about, we know they are lying. They know they are lying. They know we know they are lying. We know they know we know they are lying, but they are still lying. You know, that's, that's exactly the state of things in our world. That's exactly what's going on. We hear things and we know they are lying. And they know they are lying because they, they, are, they couldn't not know. We know they are lying. They know they are lying. And they know because they're not stupid people. They know that we know they are lying. And we aren't stupid people either. We know they know that we know they are lying. But they are still lying. That's Alexander Solzhenitsyn. So we need to come to grips with how do we live in such a world? And we live in such a world by understanding that we have to give testimony to bear witness to the truth. And in order to do that, we have to know what is the truth. So the first thing I want to point out that we mentioned earlier, but we must not forget is that Jesus is the truth. He embodies the truth. I mentioned that Pilate asked the rhetorical question, what is truth? Well, Jesus said in that same conversation to Pilate, Jesus said this, I came to testify to the truth, John 18, 37. He came to bear witness to the truth. Well, that sounds suspiciously like what he's called us to do, to continue his work bearing witness to the truth. I think that's really cool, don't you? Jesus came to testify to the truth, and now he sends the Holy Spirit so that we will testify to the truth. So as you evaluate truth and as you try to determine that which is true, remember Jesus embodies the truth every time and always. We must not forget that. Second thing is we need to remember biblical principles. Now, some people might wonder why I didn't put this first. Well, I didn't put this first because it's the Bible and its principles that tell us about Jesus. Jesus is the truth. It's the Bible that is true and tells us about the one who is the truth. So the biblical principles follow from or flow from Jesus himself. And so that's why we, we make those second. And it's important for us, if we're going to be witnesses of the truth, for us to know something about the Bible, to know the Bible stories, to understand the principles of the Bible, to understand some of the why of why the Bible says certain things, and to understand that there are limits to what God tells us. But we need to understand that which is true from the Bible so that we can, we can apply that truth to the things around us. So when you come to a situation that you're not quite sure of, it'd be entirely helpful for you to, to stop and think, okay, 
what about the Bible talks to this? What about, what about the principles of the Bible give me insight on this? Or is there a Bible story where the people wrestled with this same kind of problem, and that can help me understand the truth of what's going on here? So that's what I mean by Bible principles. We try to understand those big picture things that the Bible says, and those solid ground things that inform our understanding through what it teaches us, sometimes through the stories and how they guide us in the way we need to go. Third thing that I want to suggest if we're going to evaluate and determine the truth is that we, we lean on the church. And some people might find that a little surprising, but keep in mind that's not at all surprising because Jesus said, and we talked about it just a moment ago, Jesus said that he would send this Holy Spirit to you, plural, you, the people of God, and he would guide us, he, the Holy Spirit, into all truth. So the church, when it's guided by the Holy Spirit, leads us to truth, to all truth. Now, people might say, well, that's curious, because hasn't the church changed its mind on things? Well, not on foundational things, no. But yes, theology is always correcting itself. And so that's the benefit of the church. Because if someone gets off a little bit to one side or the other of the of the center of the idea of truth, then the church rallies around and evaluates those ideas and pulls all of us back onto the right track to keep us on track. Sometimes someone's new idea is very illuminating and helps us, and so we adopt that idea. Sometimes the ideas are just ridiculous and we throw them out because they don't help and they're flat out wrong. But that's the role of the church. That's where we come together and we help each other. That's where our friends can, can give us insight, keep us from blind spots. We in our individualistic culture often seem to depend upon ourselves when it seems to me that God wants to help us depend upon him and the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the church. So let's not underestimate that. Let's not underestimate when people speak into our lives because they care about us. Let's not underestimate when the church guides us. I can't remember the exact quote now, but I saw it about a week ago. And the, uh, the writer was talking about how he really didn't need the church to tell him what he already knew about right and wrong. He needed the church to tell him where he was wrong and he didn't know it. Well, that's the idea here. The church can guide us into truth because it keeps us from getting off track because we all work to build each other up and to help each other. So those are three ideas. Now, a lot of times we're trying to evaluate things that happen in our world that maybe are not specifically biblical concepts. The Bible might talk about some of the aspects of that, but it might not give us the kind of concrete information that we've discovered from other studies. And so the fourth thing I want us to think about is, in addition to Jesus being the embodiment of truth, and that he came to testify to the truth, in addition to a firm reliance on the principles the Bible teaches and the Bible stories that give us insights into how people managed the difficulties of life, in addition to the church, that guides us in the way we should go. The church 
enlightened, empowered, guided by the Holy Spirit that will keep us on track. We also need to be well-informed. And sometimes we need to develop a basic understanding of the principles of a subject. Now, I'll give you a basic understanding of a subject that I'm not an expert in. Far from it. I had a class in economics when I was a freshman in college. I liked it a lot. I was surprised I did as well as I did in that class because a lot of times I didn't think I understood it very well. But I really, looking back, I liked it a lot. And, and I'm always fascinated, even to this day, by the way economists talk about things and think about things. So let's use that as an example. I'm not an expert, but we're all interested because we hear so much about the economy. And particularly these days, when we're struggling with high prices of all kinds, high fuel prices, high food prices. And who knows, we keep hearing that they're just going to get worse and worse and worse. And in my area, they go up at least every week, it seems. I'm just remarkably surprised at what I see. But let's talk about a basic understanding of economics that can help us process some of these things and, and sort out whether people are telling us the truth. So one of the basic concepts of economics is supply and demand. So let's, um, let's, let's use gasoline, a gallon of gasoline as an example. So if I have five gallons of gasoline that I want to sell, and I have 200 people that want that gasoline, and they're all asking for that gasoline, then guess what I can do? I can auction that off so to speak, I can sell that to the person that's willing to pay the highest price because when it's only a little bit, five gallons and 200 people want it, that's not going to be enough to go around. And so if I sell it by the gallon, I'm going to be able to ask a very healthy price because the supply is low. There isn't very much of it. On the other hand, if I have 200 gallons of gasoline, and only two people that want it, I'm going to have to give them a really good price because I don't have anybody else to sell it to. And I've got so much of it that they're going to get a great deal on that gasoline because there are only two of them that want it. And I've got a surplus, 200 gallons. Well, when we think about what's going on in our world economically, one of the fundamental principles of, of economics is supply and demand. You probably heard that. It's probably not a surprise to you, but that's what I mean by we need to develop a feel for some of the basic principles of a subject to get an idea of what's going on. Now, in, the, in another arena that's harder to get a handle on, I, I will admit that, and some of us are better at it than others. I've tried to get better. I think I've gotten better over the last few years. But in the area of politics, it's often, no, I shouldn't say often, it's, it's regularly essential for us to think beyond what we're hearing. because what we're hearing is what they want us to know, not necessarily what's going on. And I find myself regularly saying to my friends, yeah, that's what they say, but here's what I think is going on. And it's partly because I've gotten a little bit of a feel for what happens in the political arena and what they say versus what I know happens that we don't see and they don't want us to ever see. So for example, I will sometimes say about a, an issue that, that, maybe as popular with people. I, I've, I've said that recently to somebody I said that will never pass. That will never pass because it's popular for 
the political leaders to say they like it. But when it comes to, right down to it, they don't really want that to happen because they don't really want the controversy. And they're saying they like it because they know it will never pass. And they know how to keep it from passing. And they do it in ways that don't look like they stopped it. But don't be surprised, folks. That happens all the time, all the time. If they don't want to go on the record and vote on something. They find a way to keep themselves from going on the record and voting on it. It's just the way it is. Sad, but it's true. So, so that's what I mean by developing a sense of, of basic principles. So those are some things that can help us determine the truth. Now, if something comes up and you're trying to investigate and figure it out, one of the things we learned in school, and you probably learned in school, is that we go look at a number of sources to see if we're going to get enough information that we can get enough perspective that we can make a good evaluation. So when you're investigating something or trying to sort your way through something, gathering information from a lot of sources makes a lot of sense. And that's, that's as a principle, true. I would caution you, however, in today's world, because of the way information works, and I don't think we want to get into that a lot right now, but because of the way information works, many of the main press outlets all tell the same thing. And often they use similar words. And so you need to be real careful about that and, and look beyond the, the ones that are out there, what we sometimes call the mainstream media. Now, because you're listening to America out loud, you probably are savvy enough to realize that, that there are other sources and you probably listen to them. So you understand that you can't just take the source that really is appears to be many sources, but really is only one because they all seem to collaborate. And sometimes they do because they travel together in reporting on events as a group. And so you need to make sure you're very careful to get independent perspectives, not interdependent perspectives. So then once you've gathered all the information, you begin to evaluate. Remember, we talked about Jesus and the Bible and the church. Evaluate that through the lens of things that you know that are true. And, and don't be shy about using those tools, the, the truthfulness of Jesus, the principles of the Bible, the guidance of the church, because it's a great benefit to us that God has given us. Another thing that you'll want to consider as you're going along is what sometimes I call the smell test, or really what I like, make sure you develop a well-tuned baloney detector. Because sometimes we can just tell that something just doesn't seem right here. And that's what I call a baloney detector. And, and you can kind of, as the Holy Spirit guides you, you can kind of depend on that. Now, you may not want to make your case on just that alone, but I'll often run up against things that I, that I think, nah, not quite so sure about that. And so I look into it further and sure enough, I discover, yeah, not really what, it, what they want me to think. So, so I, can, I can take a little benefit from that smell test or baloney de detector. Another thing that people often remind us is that when you're evaluating something, often the simplest explanation is the correct one. Be aware of people who want to overcomplicate things. Sometimes people are overcomplicating things because they want to keep you from understanding things. And we don't want to do that. So remember, sometimes, most of the time, it's the simple that guides us best. And if you're still struggling, maybe you need to gather more information. Don't hesitate to do that. 
jump back out there and say, well, maybe somebody else has seen this or knows this, or maybe there's a part of the, the situation I haven't, I haven't understood or hasn't been explained or hasn't been reported on. You don't be hesitant to do that. And then, of course, there's always the, the opportunity to ask somebody who knows better than you do. Ask an expert. Uh, there's a lot of things, most things that I really don't know about. So I'll, I'll try to find somebody who I trust and ask them. And I, sometimes I know them personally, sometimes I don't. And so I look for another source that I know I can depend upon because I know they'll tell me the truth and they're an expert in that area. And so I use that to evaluate that which is true. But it's definitely certain that the church needs to be involved right up front and in every way on understanding the truth. Again, Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the simple step of a courageous individual is not to take part in the lie. One word of truth outweighs the world. And we want to make sure we outweigh the world. And then to skip back to the second chapter of Acts that we read, it refers in the end there to the day of the Lord, the great, spectacular, glorious day of the Lord. And it talks about how the people that call on the Lord will be saved on that day of the Lord. And I want to encourage you to make sure that you have made your peace with God, that you are one of God's people, that you have called on the name of the Lord. See, that day of the Lord is described as spectacular and glorious, and sometimes people think of it as fearful. Well, it's not fearful if you're ready. But on that day, I would not want to be far from God. I would not want to be a kind of, sort of follower of Jesus. You know what I mean by that. Someone who's just kind of, well, Jesus is a good guy. They think nice thoughts about God. They ask him for help when they need him. They thank him for things that they appreciate. And when God's on their side, it's good for them. That's not what we're talking about. I wouldn't want to be the person that presumes that God will understand when I make choices that I know do not please him. Do not presume on God. I would not be, want to be the person on that great day of the Lord that's choosing my way when it conflicts with God's way. Choose God's way. He is the way of the truth, the life. He will show you what to think and to do and how to live. And he will set you free because the truth will set you free. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. Walk in that freedom. We'll talk again next week. <laughs>